0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Today's teaching text comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. But by my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for another opportunity to worship with my brothers and sisters this morning. I know that um, you are very well familiar with everyone in this room, of how they come into the room. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to each heart in a special and unique way, that you would redeem our imaginations, that you would help open up our minds and our hearts, um, uh, our eyes, to see you, Jesus, as you really are, to experience life in the church as you've created it to be, and as a result, this would be something that not only transforms our lives, but our communities and beyond. So Christ, I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Eugene Peterson uh, was a pastor, scholar, poet, and author. He, uh, in his lifetime, wrote more than 30 books, uh, including his widely acclaimed uh, paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. Um, It was a single project that took him 10 years to complete. So imagine that, working on one project for 10 whole years. And after studying the Bible verse by verse by verse over a decade, here was his conclusion. He says, and I quote, The biblical fact is that there are no perfect churches. There are instead communities of sinners where at least one of the sinners is called pastor and then given a designated responsibility to gather the church around Jesus and his mission. And he's right. If you go read the New Testament, what you're going to see is that though the church is really beautiful, the church is also really broken. And and we all know Christians who we can say, and maybe this is us, uh, we could say uh, are hypocritical, can be judgmental, uh, manipulative, and at times just plain mean. And given the messiness of the church, there are more and more people that I know of in our society that are making statements like this, you know, I'm really into Jesus, I'm just not that into the church really like the idea of Jesus, I appreciate Jesus, but I want to keep my distance from the church. And if that's where you are, I just want to say this, like, I get it. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I was there every time the doors were open, which at one point that meant you were there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, no questions asked. Um, But when I was a teenager, uh, the church that we were part of experienced a horrific split. Um, I remember seeing people yell at one another and make accusations towards one another. I remember walking in my house one time and a group of deacons were in there threatening to sue the church. Um, and, and it was all over something as simple and small as this debate of how often the youth group should travel to other churches to do this stick routine. Which was like, basically like this thing that was really popular in the 90s where like kids would get up and do this like dance to Christian music and make like a cross with a stick or things like that. And, um. So here's the thing, like, like, I grew up with a firsthand look at the dark side of Christian community, and yet, in spite of all the fighting and the failures and the flaws, I stand here today as a pastor of a local church, and though there are times that I still have seasons of disappointment and discouragement, I truly believe now more than ever that the local church is worth giving our entire lives to. Because despite its imperfections, Jesus is abundantly clear in the scriptures that the church is actually God's plan A for rescuing and redeeming the world. Which means more than we need politicians, more than we need programs or public officials, if we are going to transform our city or cities and therefore transform our world more than we need anyone or anything else, we just need to learn how to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. And in order to get there, I want you to look with me at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Caesarea Philippi was not always known as Caesarea Philippi. It was actually renamed by Philip. Uh, he named it after Caesar. And in this context, Caesar was considered the Son of God. He was considered the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who ruled over the universe, nobody was able to disagree with that or they would be put to death. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was also a very dark region. Uh, it was the place where it was considered the very gates of hell were located in a cave. And so if you were a Jewish person, you would not want to go to Caesarea Philippi. And yet Jesus intentionally travels as far north as he does in any of his journeys. And he specifically intentionally takes his disciples to this region to ask this question. Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, verse 14. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But verse 15, what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? That is the most important question you could ever answer. I know I'm in front of a crowd right now, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals, and I just want to encourage you to answer that question for yourself. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's an important question, because there's a lot of versions of Jesus out there in the world today. There's, for example, the white American Jesus who holds the conservative values and, uh, you know, holds to all the things we believe in, but what he's really after is just your health, wealth, and prosperity. He doesn't care about his kingdom. He just cares about your kingdom. He doesn't really care so much about his life and his glory, but you and your glory. There's also the hippie Jesus, right? The Jesus that is all about love, right? Like truth is subjective. Like you just do you. Like whatever you want to do is fine. Like as long as you don't really hurt anybody, it's all good. There's also like religious, like tyrant, taskmaster Jesus. Some of you know this Jesus, this version of Jesus, where every time you go to pray and talk with God, it's not that you feel God loves you. You just feel like God is always wanting to, to get something from you. So every time you go pray, it's like yeah, I walk away with this to-do list of all the things that Jesus told me. He wants me to do to try harder to be better. Growing up, I had this uh, a picture of Jesus in my head. I'll put it on the screen for you. I call this the Olin Mills Jesus. You may remember Olin Mills? He used to go around churches. Look at that picture of Jesus. I mean, his hair slicked back. It looks great. Beard's phenomenal. It's trim. His clothes look like They're nice and neat. They've been ironed. But then he's just kind of got this, like, look off to the distance as if he's totally disconnected from the reality and the pain of my own life. And whatever your version of Jesus is, I just want to say this. If it's not the Jesus of the Bible, if it's a counterfeit Jesus, it's a Jesus that is weak, pitiful, boring, and unable to help you at all. It's not worth giving your life to. And so what we need to do today is we need to trade our version for Jesus, for the real resurrected Jesus, to worship and follow Jesus as he is and not as who we think that he should be. Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And who speaks up? Who answers the question? Peter. Peter. It's always Peter. Peter don't give anybody else a chance to speak. And oftentimes, whenever he talks, he says something that later he regrets. You know, if anybody else is like that? That's usually me. I say something, and I'm like, ooh, that sounded way better in my head than I did out loud. That's Peter. He is notorious for putting his foot in his mouth, but here he gets it right. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you, it's a plural, who do you, or in Arkansas, who do y'all say that I am? In verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, Jesus you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Caesar's not. You are. You are the son of God. Right? Like, which, by the way, that, that, that little profession of faith right there, like, that's enough to get Peter killed. Again, like, like, if you don't say Caesar is Lord of lords, someone else is Lord of lords, king of kings, like, like that's a death sentence. It's why, in verse 20, which we read earlier, like Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah. Why does he say that? It's not because he's afraid to die. Jesus still has more ministry to do. So he's like, look, I don't, I'm not ready to die yet because there's more work that I have to do here on earth before I die for the sins of the world. So it's like, keep this to yourself. Like, this is a big deal. The first time in scripture someone calls him this, right? It's a very, very big deal. He says, Caesar's not the Lord of Lords. He's not the King of Kings. Like, Jesus, you are, you are the Son of God. You're the long awaited Messiah who has come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to save us from our sins so we can have a relationship with god and look at jesus's response to this verse 17 blessed are you simon son of Jonah. fortunate are you for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven he says hey everybody listen up you know why peter why peter gets this it's not because peter's better than anybody else it's because god revealed it to him like god opened his eyes to see the truth about who jesus is and because listen because we can 't open our own eyes because i can 't do that, let me just I just 't even pray right now, I want to stop and just ask Jesus, would you right now, through your spirit, Father, would you open the eyes of people in this room, those listening online to see you as you really are? He says Peter, blessed are you, man, because like you clearly have a relationship with god like he's he 's spoken to you and you 've heard from him he he 's revealed to you that I am the Messiah, and then in verse eighteen he says, "I tell you that you are." Peter, the Greek word there is Petros, which means rock. And on this rock, Petra, it's a different Greek word, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, this is one of the most debated verses in all of the Bible. I don't have time to go into all the different views, but here's the main thing I want you to see. Jesus is not saying here to Peter that he is the first pope in a succession, a long line of other popes. That's the Catholic view that we don't hold to. He's not saying to Peter here that you're the first pope among many other popes, but what he is saying is, Peter, you are the first rock, or you are the first stone among many other stones that are to come, that when they come together around me, it is going to build up this church. And the reason I hold to this, there's several reasons, but one of the reasons is because of what Peter himself goes on to say in First Peter chapter 2. So I'll just read this to you, try to listen carefully. Peter says this, First Peter 2, verse 4. You, talking to those who have made the same profession of faith that he has in Christ, you are coming to Christ, and listen to what he calls Jesus, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Now, cornerstone was the best of the best stones. It was the, the biggest stone Uh, It was a a perfect stone. It was the strongest stone. And when they were going to lay a foundation for a temple or any structure in ancient times, the cornerstone was the first piece to go down, and then all the other stones would go around it and then lay a strong foundation for the structure. And so what what Peter says here is that Jesus is the cornerstone of God's temple. But then listen to what he goes on to say in verse 5. And you, those who claim to be Christians, are living stones that God is building into a temple, into a spiritual house. So notice, according to Peter, he says, I'm not the only rock. I'm not the only stone. If you are a Christian, you are a living stone. And when we come together around the cornerstone, around Jesus Christ, he, as a result, through his power, builds up this thing called the church. Now here's the question. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word church here in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. What does Jesus mean when he says the church? It's a pretty important question to try to answer. And what you need to know is this. The word church in the Greek is the word ecclesia. And it literally means called out ones. And what you need to know about this word is that it's actually not a religious word. It's a political word. It's a word that was meant to describe a group of people during this time period who would be called out or summoned by the Roman emperor to basically implement the vision and values of the empire. It, it, was, it was something, it was a, a ecclesia as a group of people who are, are basically chosen by the king of that day for the purpose of advancing their kingdom initiative. And the reason that matters so much is, listen, that's the word that Jesus uses whenever he thinks of the church. What that means is that rather than us thinking about the church as a building or a social gathering for Christians or just a place for for people to try to be a good little moral in a boys and girls, when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, build my ecclesia, what he's talking about is a kingdom outpost. What Jesus is talking about is a group of people that he has chosen or he has summoned into his service a people that he has left here on this earth for the purpose of implementing his vision and his values of the kingdom of God and if that's confusing to you or like I don't I don't get like what does that mean well think about it like this I heard a pastor use this as an illustration this week Uh, think of an American embassy I don't know if you're familiar with this but America has embassies all over the world And what is an embassy? An embassy is basically a little bit of heaven a long way from home. An embassy is a sovereign territory that is ruled and reigned by the American government in a foreign land. It it represents not the country that it's in. It represents the country that it's from. And the reason that it's so important is that according to the scriptures, God has embassies all over the world. And the embassy is called the church. The church, by God's design, and this is what Jesus has in mind here, is a group of people who are coming together around Jesus for the purpose of implementing the vision and the values of the kingdom of God in a foreign land. And if you're like, what do you mean in a foreign land? Like, I'm not in a foreign land. Yes, you are. The Bible says that you are in exile. That you are a sojourner. Over and over, the Bible says you are not at home yet. This home, this world is not your home. The Bible says over and over. It says that, that our primary citizenship is not one of the United States of America. Our primary citizenship is actually in heaven, in the kingdom of God. And if we are going to, crossing church, if we're going to be the church Jesus has called us to be, we have to realize our job is to represent the homeland. The vision and values of the kingdom of God, to live and to love in such a way that this little corner of the earth, Paragol Arkansas, begins to look increasingly more like heaven and less like hell. Yes. This is why, by the way, whenever Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them to pray what? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your what? Kingdom come, kingdom. your will be done. Where? Here, As it is in Despite what some of you have been told, Jesus' primary concern is not getting you to heaven. It's getting heaven here. Yes. This is why, and we'll look at this next week in the last uh, installment of our Story of God series, in the last chapter in Revelation, when John gets a Revelation at the end of times, he says, "What? Well, I see this new city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming in out of heaven to earth, and then there's a voice from the throne. And by the way, who's on the throne? Just guess Jesus. So it's always going to be right. Jesus. Yeah? Jesus is declaring, Finally, the dwelling of God is among men. See, that this is the whole agenda. This is God's goal. It is to get us back to Eden. It is to get us back. Where we're in perfect relationship with God and one another and, and, and with this creation. That's why when Jesus opens up his ministry, he summarizes it by saying, and we saw it last week in Mark 1, Repent for the kingdom of God is, is at hand. He's saying, that's why I'm here. I, I've come into, to, to bring, to drag the kingdom of God, the place where God rules and reigns, back into this world in a redemptive way. So once again, people can walk with God as it was in the Garden of Eden. That is Jesus' mission. And listen, if that was Jesus' mission, that is the church's mission. And it is a mission that is unstoppable. That's what Jesus goes on to say. If you look in verse 18, he says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And listen to this line. I love this. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the gates of of death will not be able to overcome it. Let me ask you this question. Why would you put up gates? Gates are meant to, especially in this culture, to keep out an attack. Gates are a defensive structure. What Jesus is saying here is the church is not the one on the defense. Hell is on the defense. We are on the offense, church. We are on the advance. We are to be pressing forward into the darkest places of our society and our world. And when we do this in the power and authority of Christ, light obliterates the darkness every single time. The gates of hell, he says, will not be able to stop you, church. Death itself will not be able to stop you. And then he goes on in verse 19 and he says this. If we get this, it should blow our minds. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Remember the first time that your parents gave you the keys to their vehicle? Like you thought that was power. I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is Jesus saying? Well, he says, whenever I give you the keys of the kingdom of God, he's just talking about, I'm going to give you access into the very presence of God. There's no barrier. You don't have to wait for a priest to go in on your behalf like it's been going on in the Old Testament. You, right now, because you have trusted in me as the Messiah, can enter into the presence of God anywhere, anytime. You have been given kingdom keys, but notice he also says, you've been given kingdom authority. I'm giving you such authority that, that he says, whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven, meaning that the church has so much authority that we get to actually bring into reality what has already been decided in heaven. Yes. How crazy is that? Like, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, you church, you have the authority and the power of Christ to heal people, yes. to cast out demons. To proclaim the kingdom of God and forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to expand, to move, to spread the kingdom of God. That's the authority you've been given and I've been given. It don't look like it. Look at us. Look at us. Look around. Does anybody in here look that impressive? No offense. I mean, y'all are all beautiful people. You really are. But none of us look like we have that kind of authority. And yet, guys, it is true. It is true. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. That's why it's so good to read the book of Acts, to to inspire us, to give us something at least to aspire to. The book of Acts, I don't know if you realize this, is actually a sequel. Did you know that? It's written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. Somebody's like, I almost said the gospel of Jesus, because you said always say Jesus. (laughs) The gospel of Luke, which is about Jesus. So he writes the Gospel of Luke. Jesus then ascends into heaven, right? He, he's gone out of the Gospel of Luke. Like he's, he's back in heaven, and now Luke's going to write this other book, the book of Acts. And here's what he says. Very first line, opening line, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, there's a, a baby name for you. he's looking for one. I wrote about all that Jesus, listen to this, began to do and teach. Why did he use the word began like, like, like if Jesus is already ascended into heaven, He's already gone, like His earthly ministry is over, right? Wrong. You see, the work that Jesus began to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, He wants to continue to do through the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry's not done. His earthly ministry's not done. That is a, that is a flawed view a misunderstanding and a misreading of the scriptures. The kingdom work that Jesus began to do, Luke says, he's going to continue to do through the church and the power of the Spirit. And that is a, that's a—that's what the entire book of Acts is all about. Hey, here's what it looks like when ordinary, jacked-up, sinful people like you and me. well Here's what happens when you get uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and you come together around Jesus. You continue the work. There's healing, there's casting out demons, there's proclaiming of the kingdom of God like it begins to spread. So, Is the church God's plan A for rescuing and redeeming the world? Sure seems like it. This is why Paul would even go on to say in Corinthians, the church is the body of Christ. Think about that language. The church is the body of Christ. That means that we are, again, ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit. We are a physical, tangible expression of King Jesus right here and right now. You're not a perfect representation of Jesus, and I'm certainly not. But as a church, we are. And therefore, when the church is just simply be the church, the kingdom of God will continue to advance. There will be healing. There will be deliverance. There will be salvation of the last least in the lost of society. And I just want to ask you before I go any further, don't answer this out loud, but is this what you think of when you think of the church? Is this why you joined a church? Or if you can be honest, whether well, some of you who are here right now because it's like, I just kind of liked the way the Sunday gathering was here more than I liked the Sunday gathering at another place. I just liked this music a little better, or the preaching a little better, or I just felt more comfortable in these seats. The other church had really hard back seats and these are soft seats. And so like that's that's why I'm here. And and listen, if that's where you are, listen, no judgment for me, but if we as a church are ever going to believe the lie that this is the primary point of the church then we might as well just shut our doors and take down our sign. Earlier this week, I heard a great illustration from Pastor Tony Evans, who tells a story about a couple that was in a bad car accident. The husband was okay, but the wife was, was hurt really bad. And I guess this was like the day before cell phones, because in the story, the man picks up his wife and begins to carry her and just pleading, looking for somebody, anybody who can, who can rescue his wife, save her. And eventually he comes to a house, and outside the house there is a sign that reads, The Office of Dr. Rufus Jones Internal Medicine. Great. Like, here's somebody who can save my wife. And so he goes up to the door, (coughs) knocks on the door. A man comes. Yeah, can I help you? He says, Are are you Rufus Jones? And he says, Yeah. Yeah. And he says, okay, well, as you can see, my wife is is badly hurt from a car accident. We came to you because we're hoping that you can save her, like you can rescue her. And the man responds by saying, oh, I'm sorry, I stopped practicing medicine years ago. And I actually, I don't have any of my tools, I don't have any instruments, there's nothing I can do to help you. There's nothing I can do to save your wife. Distraught with grief, the distressed man said, Dr. Jones, if you can no longer help hurting people, then please take down your sign. Church, Jesus said, I have come not for the healthy, but those who are sick. If we're no longer going to be primarily here to help hurting people, sick people, then we just need to take down the sign. We are the crossing church. You are the crossing church. And the crossing church, like literally, like the reason we named it the crossing church is we want... This to be a crossroads, like the way we live we want, as a people, we want to live in such a way that we become a crossroads, and intersect between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. We want to be a people who introduce people to the real Jesus. We want to help make this place less like hell and more like heaven. It's why we exist. And in order for us to get there, if this is ever going to become a reality, I think there are three shifts that need to take place in our mind. And I'll go through these pretty quickly. But if you're taking notes, these are three movements or three shifts that have to happen if we're ever going to be the church Jesus has called us and created us to be. And the first shift is this. It is the shift. It is the movement from ideal to actual. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. Those who love their dream of Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. In other words, if you love the idea of what a church can be, more than you love the actual church that you're in, you're going to kill that church. You know, we read stories in Acts, and we're like, oh, I want to be in a church like that, man. If you read Acts chapter 2, and there's like Holy Spirit power, and there's generosity, and they're forgiving one another, and they're sharing their needs, and they're eating meals, and, and, and it's just it's incredible what's happening. It really is. And we're like, yeah, man, like that's the kind of church I want. And what you don't realize is if you keep reading, the Bible, that church is just as jacked up as any other church. I mean, one dude's like literally having sex with his mom. People are getting drunk off communion wine. They're suing one another. I mean, there's there's backbiting, there's gossiping, there's there's greed at times. Like, I mean, there's uh, there's manipulation. Like, it's all in there. And so, listen, if you go into a church expecting some ideal church, like... Either you're going to crush people with your expectations or you're going to be crushed when they don't meet your unhealthy expectations and you're going to go to another church. And at first, it's going to look really good on the outside, but the more you get in, you're going to realize, oh, these people are just as jacked up as those people. And once again, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to leave that church. and You're just going to continually jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And when you do that, listen, you miss out on the transformation that God wants to do in your own life, in you, and through you. Bonhoeffer goes on and he says this, we don't merely bear one another's burdens. The true burden is bearing one another. Isn't that the truth? We overlook an offense, we forgive, we show mercy and grace, we disabuse ourselves of our own pipe dreams and illusions of Christian community in order for the power of that community to take effect. Is there a time to leave a church and go to a different church? Absolutely. There are times to do that if you're part of a church and they're not pursuing the Great Commission, you should leave that church. If they're not living on mission, they're not calling you to mission, you should leave that church. If, if the pastors are teaching something other than the Bible, you should leave that church. If pastors are living in unrepentant sin, you should leave that church. If pastors aren't calling out other sins, you should leave that church. But you should never leave a church just because it's not exactly the way you think it should be. Ever. Because it doesn't fit in to your perfect ideal vision of the church which by the way is a figment of your imagination secondly we need to move if we're going to be the church Christ has called us to be we need to move from inspiration to perseverance obviously there is a lot of buzz right now around Dion Sanders and his Colorado Buffaloes um, that's why I mentioned him last week in a sermon illustration I am mentioning him again this week in a sermon illustration and I'll do it every week until they lose a game and so, which will probably be next week because they're playing Oregon. And they don't look very good. They didn't last night. There is a ton of hype around the Colorado Buffaloes. A ton of hype. Like you could go to every home game last year in Colorado and it only costs you $222 to go to every home game. Now, like yesterday, tickets were going for over $500 a piece for one game. That's the prime effect right there, baby. And And there are celebrities that are coming to this thing. Like, like, literally, during the game, The Rock, like, you know, you smell, like, The Rock, that guy, was on the sidelines. He's not even a coach. The Wu-Tang Clan, Offset, all of these celebrities are there just hanging out. I mean, I've never heard anything like that, never seen anything like that. Like, so if you are on the Colorado Buffaloes football team, it would not be hard right now to feel inspired. But inspiration only gets you so far. After the game last night, which was a double overtime win, it was a sloppy win, but the the, the Buffaloes pulled it off. They went to Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and they asked him about the game. And here's what he said. To be great, you have to be resilient. You have to learn how to overcome adversity. That's true in everything, including the church if we are going to be a great church and I don't mean great in the eyes of the world I mean great in the kingdom of God we need to be resilient and you know why? because this isn't easy like if you actually will get off the sidelines and get on the field you're going to take some shots as an old World War II vet once said you know you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at you get in the game you're going to get hit you're going to make some mistakes you yourself will fumble the ball at some point you will take criticism. God, what's wrong with that guy? What's wrong with that girl? Like, like you will take some shots. Everything, I promise you, is not going to always be amazing. And therefore, more than we need inspiration, which is enough to get us started, we need perseverance, which is enough to finish the game. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us run with perseverance the race God has marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. The word he uses there for race in the Greek is the word agon. It's where we get our English word, agony. If the Christian life doesn't feel agonizing, you're probably not in the Christian life. The Christian life is hard. It is difficult. It requires perseverance. And I can't think of a better word for us right now if we just celebrated our 11th birthday as a church. I see a lot of people who start out well, go through the baptismal waters, excited, woo Right? And I was just telling someone the other day, I don't know if this is a bad thing or not, I'm just going to confess this. Someone comes to me now and is like, I gave my life to Jesus and been baptized. Like, this is great. Like, I do celebrate with them, but there's a part of me that's like, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Like, we'll see how serious you are. Because it's just a matter of time, I'm telling you, before you get punched in the face from the enemy. Yeah. We need more than inspiration. We need perseverance. We need to continue to do the right thing when nobody's looking, even when we don't feel like it third and finally we need a shift from consumerism to commitment from consumerism to commitment i think one of the reasons people are so bored with the christian life and the reason the church is dying in america by the way let me say this the church is thriving everywhere else in the world it seems like right now asia the church is growing in asia faster than it's ever grown africa like god is doing amazing things all over the world we should like praise god for that America's just not one of those places. And I think one of the reasons why is because we have believed a lot that the church primarily exists for me rather than God. Yeah. That it primarily exists for me rather than the world. We have begun to view the church, I'm afraid, like a cruise ship yeah. rather than a battleship. you understand the difference in a cruise ship and a battleship? If you get on a cruise ship, what is your goal? Yeah, I don't know what all y'all said, but... uh Y'all said something different. It's probably all right. You get the point, right? We go in there for, for comfort, for pleasure, for entertainment. And, 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 you know, cruises are great for like a week. But do you really want to lo- live on a cruise your entire life? Like you may think that, but I'm telling you, after a while, it's like there's only like so much you can consume before you just start like feeling like blah. And that's because you were made for more than consumption. You were made to give your life away for the glory of God. Uh, on vacation this past year, we went to the beach on the way back. like Literally, as we're like, about to pass the exit, my kids are like, we want to go to the battleship, the USS Alabama. And so we we, we pull it over, we go through the battleship, and it's the second one I've been on. They're really incredible. Anybody here have been on a battleship before? Okay, so they're really incredible because they're like, yeah, I know you have, Jared. You've lived on one. And so um, uh, I'm not talking third person, by the way. That's <laughs> another Jared back there. <laughs> it's like, why I don't keep you. like, uh, I've been following primetime too much. I'm in third person now. Jared says, um, and so, they're like cities, man. I mean, they have like a hospital on these things. There's a, a grocery store on these things. There's a jail on them. Like, if you get out of line, you go to jail. Like, there's a chapel on there. There's a place for recreation. Like, you know, baseball, basketball. There's a boxing ring on the one I looked at. Like, I mean, like, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on on these ships. But if you're on one of these, you quickly realize, if you're a sailor, I'm not here primarily for any of that stuff. I've been given a mission, and this is an all-hands-on-deck mission. Nobody on that ship is there just to play football. Nobody is just there to eat the food that other people are cooking. Like everybody pitches in because everybody understands we have been handed a mission from the commanding officer and it is our job to live in light of that mission to accomplish the goal that has been set for us. Guys, the church is much more like a battleship than a cruise ship. We are called, Jesus says, to storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail against and all with all of that in mind, as you think about this shift from consumerism to commitment, the question maybe is, well, what exactly is that commitment? What are you asking us to do? And here's what I want to say. If you're not a member of this church, you're just checking it out. This does not pertain to you, but if you're interested in membership, you still want to know this. Uh, there are four things that we call you to do. I'll put it on the screen. We call you together to go, to grow, and to give. And before I say these four things, let me say this. First off, I'm never going to call you to do something I'm not doing myself. And secondly, I'm never going to call you to something that Jesus has not already called you to. As your pastors, we will never call you to more than Christ called you to, but I'm not going to call you to less either because that's the most unloving thing I could do for you. Now, we're going to meet you where you are. We understand different people are in different places. But every family, that's what we are, has expectations. You have expectations for your kids. Do you realize that? Your job, your boss has expectations for you. Expectations are... It's a normal part of society, and it certainly should be a part of the church. So here's our expectations. Here's how we move from consumerism to commitment. We gather, we go, we grow, and we give. I'll say a short word on each, and then we'll be done. First off, we gather. When you read this Bible, go read in the book of Acts, and you will see the early church gathered in two primary spaces. They gathered in large groups like this, the time it was the temple, and they gathered in homes. We follow the exact same pattern. We gather in, in big groups like this for teaching of the Word, for baptism when we get a chance to celebrate that, for communion each week, for singing, for praising, for prayer. And we meet in homes to eat meals together, to dive deeper into the discussion, to, to build relationships, to truly begin to live out our identities, our one another's. like it's in those missional communities. We learn how to forgive one another and bear with one another and show mercy to one another and pray for one another. It's where we eat together and all of this good stuff. This is very important. Again, like we need to come together. Remember, we're living stones. A living stone, if you're just a stone by yourself, you're definitely not that impressive. And I'm not that impressive. But when we come together, remember Peter says, when we come together around the cornerstone, around Jesus, there's something supernatural that happens in the fact that that God's empowering presence manifests himself in a way when the church gathers differently in a way that he does it when we don't gather. Does that make sense? And so, this is why the New Testament authors over and over say things like, do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Guys, this actually matters. And I feel so foolish that I have to say this. I feel like now, like, used to, I I can't, you didn't have to say this thing, but since COVID, like, since the pandemic, you certainly do. I just want to encourage you with all the love of my heart, don't let this gathering of other believers simply be just another activity that is competing with everything else in your life make this a priority. Put it at the top of the list. And if you're like, well, how often should I commit to gathering with the church? Let me just say this, and I'll try to set the bar fairly low. Just try to be here more than you're not here. How about that? Let's just start there. Just try to be consistent. If you're going to be a good employee, you need to be consistent. If you're going to need to be a good spouse, you need to be consistent. If you're going to be good at football or basketball or whatever, you need to be consistent. Now, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. God doesn't expect perfection from you. You don't need to be perfect, but there needs to be a pattern of consistency in your life. So let's be consistent in, in gathering. Secondly, not only are we just called together; we're called to go. That means we're called to embrace the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. We need to go. We need to see ourselves as missionaries. Again, as representing the kingdom, uh, vision and values wherever we are. Right? Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. We've been given the same ministry of Jesus to reconcile the world back to him. Like, that is our goal. And so at the crossing, we encourage you to live as missionaries in your everyday stuff of life, and work, and your neighborhood, wherever you are. But then also we encourage you to, to get in these things called missional communities that have these specific mission focuses. And one of the reasons that we think there's, it's important to go out on mission together is because this is the way Jesus did it. He would send out disciples together, never one-on-one, always in a group. There's power in numbers. Again, think about living stones. You'll be able to experience the empowering presence of God. It's going to happen more when we come together than when we're all just kind of out doing our own thing. And we baptized a Muslim earlier this year. One of the greatest moments for me since we planted a church. And the reason we baptized a Muslim was not the result of, of Jared Pickney doing his thing. It was because our MC had a mission that we had been serving on together for years. So let's gather, let's go, let's grow When God saves you, He actually plans to change you. He wants to grow you. He wants you to go from being a spiritual infant to a child, to an adolescent, to an adult. God wants you to come to a place where you don't always have to be fed, but where you can feed others. Think about that. Where are you in that growth pattern? Wherever you are, God wants you to go from immaturity to maturity and to take responsibility for your growth. To be a member of this church, it means taking responsibility for your growth. To spend time yourself praying in Scripture, Fasting, practicing the spiritual disciplines. Guys, you cannot give what you do not have. And you're not going to be able to live off other people's faith. We need to be individuals who abide in the vine and as a result bear much fruit. So let's take responsibility for our growth. And finally, let's be a people who don't just gather, go, and grow, but let's be a people who give. Let's be a people who give. And there's three places that we really would like for you to give. We ask you to give your time, your talents, and your treasures. Um, If you are not currently serving on Sunday mornings or in some ministry team, I would really encourage you to do that. And if you want to know how to get involved, come see me, come see Chris. One of the first things a staff member will say when they start working for the church is just how much work they didn't realize went into just pulling something like this off. There's so much stuff that happens behind the scenes that you don't even see. And right now, like we have like, it feels like, uh, this might not be true, but we feel like 20% of the people are kind of doing 80% of the work. We have people who are like double-dipping, triple-dipping, quadruple-dipping, like serving in three or four different places just to try to like meet the needs so we can come in here and we can gather. And a lot of these are thankless positions. Nobody will ever see you. Nobody will even know what you're doing. But God will know, right? Like, I would encourage you, like, give in some way. Serve. But don't just give of you your time and talents. We encourage you also to give of your treasures, to give of your finances to the local church. We are a not-for-profit organization. The only reason we exist is because there are some people in this room or in our church who give financially to the church. If they stopped giving, we would stop existing. It's that simple. And this, by the way, giving to the church, is not like a Jared thing or it's not like an American idea. Like, it's a Jesus idea. Jesus himself said that we are to give to the local church. And in doing so, we free our hearts from greed, which, by the way, I've never met anybody who feels like they're greedy. That's why it's such a, a terrible, like, subtle, dangerous sin, because greed can go undetected, it's like a parasite inside of us. Like, giving frees us up from being greedy. It puts our trust in God, and it helps us advance His kingdom mission. And if you can't start, by the way, by giving 10%, which is what we see in the New Testament, like, I actually think Jesus calls us to more than that, but 10% seems to be a, a pretty good place to start. If you can't give 10% of your gross income, just start somewhere. Start with 1%, start with 2%, just do the best that you possibly can. And if you hear all of that, and you're like, man, that sounds like a lot. Well, I would agree, it kind of does, doesn't it? But again, I'm not trying to call you to anything that Jesus himself has not already called you to. And as we think about this call, and I'm going to go and invite the band back up, I want to read this passage of scripture to you, and I'll be done. Here's the words of Jesus himself. He says this, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? Today the invitation is to stop trying to play a supporting or a leading role in your little finite story. And instead choose to play a supporting role in God's eternal grand kingdom story. Let's give our lives away for Jesus and his mission. Some of you, maybe, you've been on the sidelines. Like, let's get back in the game. Like, like if Peter can get back in the game, a guy who denied Christ three times, who did stupid stuff all the time. Like if, if if God can use someone like Peter, man, he can use you, he can use me. Let's get on the field. Let's get in. The game, let's be willing to to surrender up some of these things we've been clinging to. Let's be willing to make the sacrifice to lose our lives for the sake of Christ. And if you're like, again, why would I do that? Because the promise is when you will lose your life, Jesus says, then and only then will you find it. And that's what Jesus is after, by the way. He's after life, deep life, full life, abundant life. That's what he says in John chapter 10, verse 10. And so today, if you're here and you've never trusted your life to Christ, my prayer is that you would do that. And if you're here and you've already trusted your life to Christ, man, just rededicate once again your life to Jesus and his mission for the good of this community, for the good of this world, for your own good, and ultimately for the glory of God. Let's stand together. I'll pray. We'll sing, take communion, and then dismiss. Father, I do thank you so much for each one who is here today. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus that long before you called us to go on mission that Jesus went. On mission for us. Long before you called us to pick up a cross, Jesus, you picked up your own cross and you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. God, I pray that right now through your Holy Spirit, that that just as you did this for Peter, you would do it for each person in here and listen online, that right now you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would help us to see you, Jesus, as you really are, someone who is, who is worth giving up everything in order to experience life with you. And I pray that that, God, would move beyond just this moment move beyond these walls that we would embrace reality that we would be a people who persevere that we'd be a people who who seek not to come to, to get but to give Jesus you gave us the great example of that you said I did not come to be served I came to serve and give my life as a ransom Jesus we want to follow you we want to represent you to the world would you Holy Spirit give us the power to do that if there's anybody here today even right now has not entered into the kingdom, who does not know you in a real and personal level, does not see Jesus you as more worthy than their spouse, more worthy than their kids, better than their money, better than their career. God, I pray that you would help them see that you are the source of all that is good and beautiful and true, that if there's anything that they actually love in their kids or anything they love in, in their success or anything, God, it's all just pointing back to to you who is even better than all of those things. And I pray that as they capture that vision that, Lord, they would then step into your calling. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.